This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. I ended up raising my hand saying, I'd love to sit down with my CPAs in the state of Maryland and figure out what they want in the future. That was really the defining moment because what I realized is I'm basically an introverted kind of guy. And, but the ability to collaborate and learn how to collaborate well with a group taught me how to listen and more importantly, how to get a conversation, a strategic conversation going and figure out how to make it mean something. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. I'm Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Tom Hood, Executive Director and CEO of the Maryland Association of CPAs. When Tom exited a CFO role back in the late 1990s, he had no way of telling he was embarking on a career transition that would lead him to mentor and impact the professional lives of thousands of accounting and finance professionals for the next two decades. We speak to the always approachable and highly visible Tom Hood after these words from our sponsor. Just as a house needs a good foundation, your business needs a solid technology foundation. At Workday, a different approach to finance technology is giving growing mid-size organizations a distinct advantage. Workday's flexible architecture means that when business conditions change, finance can easily make changes to business processes. To learn more about how a finance system from Workday supports mid-size organizations from the ground up, visit us at Workday.com. Workday, built for the future. Hello, we're speaking to Tom Hood. If you don't know Tom Hood, chances are you might think you do. Upon hearing his name... You would likely say something, Tom Hood, that sounds familiar. And then there are a number of reasons for that, beginning with perhaps uh, the biggest reason. And that is since 1997, Tom has been the executive director of the Maryland Association of CPAs. Tom, welcome. Thanks, Jack. It's great to be here. It's good to have you. Like I said, um, I think you're one of the highly visible people who know so many accountants. And, of course, part of that visibility is, is LinkedIn, where I think you have always understood how to use it, where many of us didn't for a long time anyway. And uh, so I mentioned that up front here because I think a lot of people will go, oh, yeah, I know Tom. I'm linked in with him. But I'd like to begin where we ordinarily do, which is to ask you to look back in time for us and tell us a little bit about yourself. And, again, I know you had a CFO chapter, and that's, uh, that's something we always zero in on. But share with us those experiences you feel helped uh, shape your career. All right. Well, Chapter 1 would be um, 
you know, when I was a kid growing up, my uh, father was a Baltimore City cop. And uh, early on, I've, no one in our family had ever gone to college. And when I looked at what, what was going on, thanks, thanks to a great school, um, they encouraged college. And so I said, what would I do? I want to get into law enforcement. I wanted to be an FBI agent. So that's what led me to accounting because there's two ways to get the FBI back then, law or accounting. Accounting was easier. So uh, at least number of years and costs. So I said, let me go do that. And then I found out what accounting was all about and uh, found out my eyesight was too bad to be an agent. And given the publicity today, I'm kind of glad I'm not an FBI agent. <laughs> but uh, I ended up going into accounting and uh, early on worked my way through, through college at night. So I got a job during the day as a uh, junior accountant and ended up uh, in a highway construction firm where I became CFO. So I spent about 15 years as a CFO in a highway construction, about you know 75 million, 500 people, and that experience was incredible because I had to learn uh, CFOs in many middle market companies get to do uh, everything else except sales and operations. So I had uh, community outreach, I had uh, benefits and HR and IT, and that quickly got you you know a good span of all those roles, which was kind of fun. Uh, turns out the other thing is I, I got involved in the Maryland Association of CPAs the minute I graduated, passed my CPA, and then early on became a, a member and an active member. And I would attribute a lot of my uh, background is, is due to my experience and network from that experience. Um, I, I would say the association was my mentor. And uh, so the combination of being in the profession, if you will, and working as a CFO, all the way up until we got disrupted. We were hostily acquired in a, a major downturn in the Northeast. And because of all my volunteer activities, I had been a past chair of the association. When the executive director was retiring, she said, you, you might want to put your name in the hat. It sounds like a lot of stuff you know might fit. So I was like really at a you know, turning point in my chapter. I was like, well, what, what should I do? It turned out I got the job. So after the national search, so here I am, you know, 21 years later, uh, having a ball and um, trying to help transform our profession. I think, Tom, in some ways, you're something of a teacher. You're something of a mentor uh, to many people today. And uh, I think this role might have allowed you to do that or pursue that. Whereas a traditional CFO role would certainly allow you to mentor some, but not as many. Did you know going into it that that was going to be part of what made it satisfying to you? Actually, no, but what was the, the big piece of what I'd call serendipity or really good unexpected luck was the first day of my job was with a big meeting of all the state CPA associations and the American Institute of CPAs. Um, we have that meeting every year. It's kind of a, a best practice, you know, comparing notes. So that was my Really, first day on the job was at that meeting, and, uh, and I'll never forget it was in, in Florida. And in that meeting, uh, Barry Melanson, who's now the head of the AICPA, announced a project called the CPA Vision Project, where the profession was going to engage hundreds or even thousands of grassroots CPAs all over the country and start to have a conversation about the future. And the interesting part is in my highway construction job, one of the things I got stuck with in hindsight, probably one of the best things that happened, is we were permitting an asphalt plant in a community. And the community was zoned for heavy manufacturing, et cetera, et cetera. But nevertheless, the people that we, we would call NIMBY, not in my backyard, they rose up and 
created quite a, um, a ruckus for us. In fact, cost us millions of dollars and drug our project out for years. But that experience was, um, you know, the CEO comes to me and says, Tom, we need somebody to take over the community management. And so uh, thank God they gave me some resources. So I got to connect to some really good people that understood how to, the dynamics of working with the community. And so that background, uh, now fast forward to the CPA Vision Project, uh, I ended up raising my hand saying, I'd love to sit down with my CPAs in the state of Maryland and figure out what they want in the future. And, Jack, that was really the defining moment because what I realized is I'm basically an introverted kind of guy. And, but the ability to collaborate and learn how to collaborate well with a group taught me how to listen and, more importantly, how to get a conversation, a strategic conversation going and figure out how to make it mean something. So that project uh, is where I felt the passion of the profession because I got to hear it from all of us, right? There were small practitioners. There was big four partners. There were CFOs from public companies or private. And, and so that's where the passion of, wow, this is, this is really cool. So my job now is, uh, I know people say I'm a mentor, but most of what I do is reflect on what I'm able to see and talk about with folks, you know, like, like you and all the folks that listen to this podcast. And then turn around and say, here's, what I, here's some patterns that I'm seeing, and here's what I think we should be doing about it. So it's a constant um, element of you know, listening and researching and then coming back and saying, is this what you mean? Is this, that's really what we've been doing. So I think it started 21 years ago for us, and we've become, I think, recognized for that idea. It's also in our uh, wheelhouse we call it management by sticky notes because we often use sticky notes in a group setting. Um, but – that's really what I'd say it is. It, it, that's the thing that I really get passionate about, is the ability to harness the power of we. And it never fails, right? CPAs and CFOs, accounting finance pros are smart people. And sometimes we just have to help them pull that out and get it out there so they can use it. Do you find that the accountants who are joining you today, are they coming for a different reason than they were 20 years ago? Yeah, tw- you know, 20, when I'm, I'm a baby boomer, so I'm, you know, I was uh, probably 10 years out when I started before I even got, you know, when I got into the profession, uh, I was a young pup and I was in there for, you know, 10 or 15 years before I got to this point. That's the, the baby boomer generation joined because joining was the thing to do and supporting your profession was the thing to do. Today, what young professionals want is they want to know, they want value, right? They want to know what uh, can help them accelerate their career trajectory. And they also have some very different um, thinking and, and needs than we did back then. You know, we, I grew up under the monkey see, monkey do uh, leadership model, which is pretty much your boss said, do what I do, son, and, you know, one day you'll get what I got. Um, I, I don't think that's true anymore. I think sometimes if you do what I, what, if you do what I did, you'd probably get less than what I got as you go forward. Uh, so I think it's a, it's a different world. They realize it, and they're looking for, you know, different levels of guidance from that perspective. So before we go any further, would you mind explaining the structure for the state CPA associations? I'm, I'm curious uh, how Maryland might, uh, Maryland's association might be somewhat different from others, or uh, what's, the, what's the overarching structure? 
Yeah, so the, so the quick story is um, we're, we're, thanks to Thomas Jefferson, we're a profession, the CPA profession is regulated by state law. Even though we have mobile, what we call a mobile language, that means it's pretty much uniform across all the states, your license is by state. And, and every state association, ours included, in fact, we were one of the first three in the United States, um, we were the ones that actually created the law that said we need this new discipline of, of certified public accountant, and here's the requirements, and here's the law, and we've been polishing that law and protecting it ever since. So that's a really big part of our job is we call it connecting um, CPAs to their profession, protecting them in the legislature and with their image, uh, and then helping them achieve success. So that's the Genesis. There is, in fact, a, a state association in every uh, state and the district, um, as well as Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, Guam, uh, Marshall Islands, etc. So, every jurisdiction has one, uh, and then the national group, which is completely independent, is the national overriding body. So we collaborate a lot, but we are independent from that standpoint. You mentioned Thomas Jefferson, and uh, being a history nerd, I have to ask, was there something of an economic uh, reason for the state of Virginia that led him to? Uh to create the model? Well, the, the, so really the part that Thomas Jefferson did is he created the state-based model. So in other words, just you, you know, you're hearing the debate today over federal versus state laws. In other words, the, at the, the time, states were allowed to kind of dictate almost everything except the basic tenets of you know, defense and the overarching economy. And that was so that the states could practice innovations, so that the states that had you know, innovative ways of how they worked with their um, communities, taxed them, you know, permitted people to do things, all that would then allow a natural uh, innovation and competition form, which is kind of neat, actually. But so the state law system is how most professions, I think all professions, are governed to this day. So legal, medicine, um, engineers, architects, accountants, barbers, tattoo agents, you know, you name it. So that's part of the licensed profession notion that's out there. So that's kind of, that's our genesis from that standpoint. One of the questions, uh, Tom, that we always ask finance leaders, is there a personal habit that you have that's uh, contributed to your professional success? And it's one of the more common answers, and I don't think it's a, a pat answer. I actually think uh, they correctly assess themselves, which is, uh, they say they are good listeners. And what you mentioned, you, you placed an emphasis on it as well. Why is being a good listener so important uh, to finance leadership? Well, I think, and I go back to my own experience as a CFO, but clearly understanding all the different stakeholders and the, the dynamics in a company today which the CFO has a lot of influence over, right? The influence, the influence around strategic direction by having the ear of the CEO, which, which is typical. And, in fact, we see a lot of, of CFOs now moving into the CEO role, which I'm really excited about. But I think that the, the notion goes to you, you've got to listen to the CEO. And the CEO, now that I am one, um, can often put a, a, a bit of a positive in, if you will. I mean, the, the average CEO is probably pretty optimistic, so they tend to be looking at, say, how do we do this better, and we're, we're, they might exaggerate things a little bit. The CFO has to also be able to take that and say, how can I support that? And at the flip side, be able to listen to the other stakeholders. It could be suppliers in the supply chain or 
customers or, in fact, the internal employees, and, and then be able to, I, I call it, give the brutal facts of the reality conversation to the CEO. And I think that's really important. Um, I think it's also important now in an age of transformation where uh, I just had a meeting with my team the other day, and I said, you know, we, we have to continue to move faster. And are you guys ready? So I think that that's another notion now is you actually have to be empathetic uh, to listening to what your team is telling you. And, you know, the question is, can we move faster as opposed to just hitting the gas and not listening, right, and hoping that they all stay with you? If you can take them with you, uh, that's always a better choice. And I think that all gets to this idea of listening. When you, you look around the country and do look at other, you know, state uh, associations of CPAs, uh, is there uh, pockets of uh, intriguing uh, approaches that you identify? I would imagine one, one of the benefits of it being at a state uh, level sort of is, is the variety of approaches that, you know, might become visible. What would you tell us? I think, I think your answer is, is spot on. There is, there is pockets. Um, I think one of the things that set us apart early on, and that's one of the reasons why I was always happy to be part of this organization, was we early on adopted, if you will, the, the corporate government not-for-profit um, CFO types, right, who are CPAs. So we represent, we call that business and industry versus public practice. And we're about half and half. Uh, many of the, and so we were like that really from the very beginning, our, start, our kind of creation story of the association was it was at the beginning of 1900 uh, we were moving from the agriculture to the industrial age and accountants left the farms to come into the city and had to teach industry how to account for things like manufacturing and shipping and, and railroads and those kinds of things right that was the time we lived in and it's kind of interesting because we helped business move into the industrial age and I think right now we're helping business move into the fourth industrial age, as you would hear in the, in the kind of major um, thought leadership. So, so I think that's – so Maryland has always had the private CFO represented. They've been – I was, you know, we, I was a chair of the association. We had many chairs before me that were in that role. So that's given us a little extra angle, if you will. And I would – but there are states that have – that community uh, down pat pretty well. For us, we're trying to engage that community even more because we think CFOs are the answer to help a lot of businesses transform as we move into this new digital era. Now, is there a maybe a bias, uh, just given the, the fact that if you're a finance leader and you're, you want to develop your people, and again, I think you've already described on the individual level how the millennials, uh, what they're looking for, but for the finance leader who is concerned that his team needs to continue uh, up the trajectory of, of skill building, do I want to make sure they're aware of everything going on at the Maryland Association of CPAs? Um, or am I more concerned that they get this other set of skills now, These, you know, the emphasis put on collaboration? Do I turn to the Maryland Association of CPAs for that type of uh, skill building as well? And uh, I would think the instinct might be, well, we should try something different. Well, it is kind of interesting because it, here's what I think is, is um, a bit, I don't know if I want to say amazing or scary. So 1999, when we ran the Vision Project, I was a volunteer on that national committee. 
and that, that looked out to 2011. And in 2011, we actually bid on that and won it. So we did the what's called the CPA Horizons. Both of those were looking out into the future saying, what are, what are finance and accounting people in the CPA space going to be doing and what skills will they need? The skills they crowdsourced back then and then up again in 2011 are right on point with the latest research from everyone, from the fourth industrial revolution to the Institute for the Future. So the, the reality is in, when we did that vision project work, we actually came back to our board and said, here are the skills CPAs say they need, things like collaboration and leadership and critical and strategic thinking. And then our board said, well, if that's what they say they need, shouldn't we do it? So we did do it, and we actually created a separate uh, group called the Business Learning Institute because what we learned is when we offered those skills as the MACPA, our members wouldn't buy them because they didn't think that we would find out in hindsight that, that we had market permission to offer the training. So we had to do a rebranding. And so the Business Learning Institute uh, is where we have those skills housed. And so we're actually doing that for corporations and, and finance teams all over the world today, uh, including offering out to obviously our own members through the Maryland Association CPA. So that's, um, that's what we found out. And you're, you're spot on. The, the, the skill sets, and we're just getting ready to release our research um, from this past year, but communications, leadership, critical thinking and problem solving, anticipating and serving evolving needs, synthesizing intelligence to insight, integration collaboration, tech savvy and data analytics, and then the core functional and domain expertise, which is, you know, your industry experience and your tax accounting finance um, background. So those are the eight that we think are what you're going to need in the future. And that's what I think we should be starting to focus people on because what got us here won't get us there. When it comes to skill building, is there sort of a common blind spot that finance leaders have? I think, I don't know if I'd call it a blind spot, but I think it's a challenge. The challenge is we don't have enough time. That would be number one, and that's showing up in, in all the survey work we do in these groups. And the second challenge is um, we don't have the resources. In other words, our CEO won't give us the money or the budget to begin to build out a training program for our finance team. Now, I think that's an opportunity, right, for the finance leaders to learn how to sell a bit, to be able to give context to their CEO and say, if I don't upgrade my, my finance team, how will we ever keep up with the change of the organization? Because the organizations are beginning to go through massive change, and if you don't upgrade your finance team with that pace of change, your, things are going to start to break or fall apart, and that's where trouble happens. So I think I, I would say it's not necessarily a blind spot. I think they're aware of it, but I don't know that they're ready to, like, put their head out a little bit and say, we really have to do this. Tell us in a, a little more about the Business Learning Institute. I'd love to, like, what's an example course or, or curriculum that could be taken, and how long and what, what would be required, really? So, so the interesting is we have a couple of like major ones that deal with all of these. So we've taken all these skill sets that we've researched and then we've mapped them to courses so that you can actually build out that learning path. And we have the other thing is you, you've got virtual types of learning. So I think one of our philosophies is what we have what we need to learn has to change and how we learn it also has to change. So we've been experimenting with new formats like nano learning and, and those kind of things. So I'm gonna give you 
Uh, three quick examples. We have a, a big curriculum called the MBA Express, and it doesn't stand for Masters of Business Administration. It's really Masters of Business Acumen, which is one of the big weaknesses we've seen in you know, CEO surveys around their CFOs. So giving them a lot of those basic skills like communication and understanding a bit about marketing or those kind of things, strategy, those kind of pieces. And that's a, a set of one-hour on-demand learning. We also run those as, as public seminars or with webcasts and stuff like that. So that's one more traditional. The next one is really our newest one, which is called the Anticipatory Organization. And that one is dealing with transformation and giving um, accounting and finance pros a way to look at the future trends and put them in context and then how to act on them. And that includes modules on you know, collaboration, dealing with multiple generations, problem solving. There's a time travel audit, like some really cool stuff. But the format, so that's, a, that's a, a 28 lessons in four modules. And I know you're thinking, wait a minute, that's like a year. It's literally um, one hour a week for about, uh, I'd say, 12 weeks, not even that, maybe 10. You could knock out all those lessons. Each lesson's a four-hour minute, a four-minute like TED Talk from this leading futurist. And then it's got a exercises for you to actually apply the concept in your job. And there's worksheets and tools and so it, what we've learned is that the learning is accelerated, the retention is accelerated, and then you've got all the tools that you can use over and over again in your own um, role. So that one's kind of a fun one. It's, I mean, it's 195 bucks. It's five hours of CPE credit if, if people needed it. But um, we're pretty excited about that one. Uh, and then the next one is our newest one, and we actually haven't rolled it out yet, but it would be for anyone that's involved with BLI or MACPA is the partnership we did with IBM's Cognitive Learning Group. So one of those skill sets we talk about is tech savvy and data analytics. And while we don't have to teach uh, finance pros to be AI programmers, we do have to teach them the language that goes around this whole new field of artificial intelligence, big data, cognitive learning, et cetera. And we reached out to IBM because IBM was, was disrupting some of the audit profession. And we said, what, you know, what, do we, what can we do to help our uh, folks keep up with all this? And they have a big data university that they work with us to curate a set of courses that are all on the uh, Harvard-MIT MOOC platform. And it allows um, our, our folks to basically take at, as they want. None of this qualifies for CPE yet. But it does get them um, the ability to go in there in these little, you know, literally 30-minute sessions, and they watch a video, and they read a white paper, and they do an exercise. But it's teaching them uh, to take the mystery out of all these, you know, things that we see in the paper every day. And so we're really excited about that. Now, we've got lots of other programs, but those would be the three that I think are most um, exemplary for what we're talking about. So how long has uh, these different programs been available? Yeah, so the, the MBA Express has been, I mean, other than moving to the digital format, that's been around probably for about three or four years. Uh, the, the program, the anticipatory organization, we started about three and a half years ago with um, Daniel Burris, the guy who invented it uh, in that note. He's using that in major Fortune 100 now. We just worked with him to customize it for finance and accounting. And then the IBM one is literally um, less than a year old. So you're right, that one's really fresh based on, again, 
research and what we were seeing in the market and where we think the, the skill set needs to go. So that's really a passion of ours is getting the CPA CFO equipped for this rapidly changing world. Yeah, I do. I think I, I saw a post related to that on LinkedIn, which uh, this is my way of seg- segueing back to LinkedIn because I do think uh, you're highly visible there. You have a network of uh, – I, I don't know. Do you know how many followers you have currently, Tom? Tom tells us how many and, uh, more importantly, perhaps how he got them. And we'll ask him how CFOs can accelerate their skill-building efforts after these words from our sponsor. smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. you know how many followers you have currently, Tom? I think about 650,000. <laughs> I, 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 I think it is up there. I, I just remember seeing it once, and I think that's the largest uh, LinkedIn um, network I've ever seen, and certainly among finance executives. Let me put it that way. 650,000? How did that happen? How does that happen? You know why? It's, it, it, was, uh, it was social media. We, we got into – so we did, like, Second Life. We, were, we had CPA Island on Second Life. Um, we even had a learning lab for CFOs there. We were doing CPE there. What happened is we did, it, we did social media to connect the future of our profession. And we did it in 2006. So we were doing it when no one was doing it. And that allowed us to build our following base. So Twitter, I think I got 15,000. I mean, it, it's because we've been on there a long time and we've mastered it as a communication medium. And that's really how I got there. So what happened is LinkedIn, when they started their influencer program, they must have been fishing around the finance area to see who were people with a decent following and voice. And they found me and said, will you be one of our influencers? I'm like, of course. And, uh, so they helped promote me for a while when they made that program active, and that that catapulted my followership. So I was probably hundred thousand before that, and then and then once you get a critical mass, every time someone likes something, then you know you get twenty five more followers. So it's it's uh, it's been that kind of a build. So it's um, it's been fun from that standpoint. Because believe it or not, that's my listening and learning network. Well, the fact is, is you were early, and I don't think there were many early adopters within the ranks of finance executives. There certainly were some, yeah. but, uh, you know, by and large, I think they were somewhat laggards on, on jumping on the social media. And uh, for so many finance leaders out there, it was more, uh, you know, looked on as one more thing to uh, to monitor and be concerned about. Exactly. Organizations. Yep. Uh, so you got out in front of it. I don't know. You know, I didn't ask, is there a... How do you characterize the organization in terms of size? Is there, you know, an annual number in terms of how many uh, accountants participate in your events, or how do you like to how do you like to describe the size of the association today? I mean, we have nine thousand members, and I 
think that probably the misnomer is the scope of the combined when we combine it with our business learning institutes. And there we probably, I think the numbers on that side of it are probably about 5,000. I mean, we're probably training about 15,000 accounting and finance pros between members and the work that we do for corporations uh, and firms. And that's probably the right number, say 15,000. Tom, it's been great to have you. I've been meaning to reach out uh, sooner uh, to you to uh, sort of solve the, uh, the LinkedIn riddle that we think t- <laughs> that you shared the answer to today. Um, let me wrap up by asking simply, for those finance leaders out there who are looking to accelerate how they develop the skills of their teams and people, what would you recommend? I think the, the advice I would give to finance leaders right now is you have to be responsible for managing the trajectory of your team matched to the trajectory of the strategy of your organization. And for many, or many soon to be, that's a very fast pace of transformation. And there's a, a quote that I remember really well from a futurist that said, if you, if you automate, you must elevate the skills and talent of your team. So I would say if there's ever been a case for seriously elevating the skills of your team, in this age of exponential hard trends in automation, like artificial intelligence, big data analytics, et cetera, you're going to have more support doing things that you never had before. And you're going to need your people to be thinking at a level that they've never had to think at before. So I think that's the business case you need to make. And then, you know, if you need help, Look us up, BLIonline.org. Look at some of the articles we've got about the skills that you need. And then if you need help with those skills, we've certainly got resources to help you there. But you've got to start thinking strategically about upgrading your skill set to keep up with what we know the pace of change for the company's going to be. Tom Hood, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. My pleasure. Thank you for listening, and don't forget, Thought Leader listeners, you can now go premium at CFOThoughtLeader.com.